0: Just a quick note before we get started. This episode contains explicit language. From the Jewish Food Society, I'm Amanda Dell, and this is Schmaltzy. Personal stories about food and the people behind them. Today on Schmaltzy, Robbie Hoffman. Robbie is an ex-Hasidic queer Jewish stand-up comedian and writer. She won a Daytime Emmy award for her writing work on PBS's Odd Squad and is currently in development with Showtime for her own series, Rivka. Earlier this year, Robbie took the stage at Schmalzi Los Angeles. In this episode, we'll hear Robbie's story and our conversation in the studio. Here's Robbie.
1: My god. No, it's nice to be here. Uh, sounds like there's a lot of New Yorkers here. I'm not originally from Los Angeles myself. I'm originally from New York. Anybody else? Anybody else grow up Hasidic without a childhood? Couple in the back. Yeah, Hasidic to gay. Anything can happen. God is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hasidic to scissoring. Dreams do come true. I want you to know put your mind to something, anything is possible. I'm from an enormous family. I have five brothers and four sisters. My mother had all 10 of us by the age of 30. Yeah, just an enormous vagina, as you can imagine. Yeah, that's where I get mine from. I'm very blessed. I'm very blessed. Thank you for asking. Hi, Robbie.
0: Thanks for joining us.
1: Hi, how are you? Are you snee Are you modest? Or you're dressing (laughs) just trendy? Wow,
0: okay, that's how it's going to be?
1: Okay, wow. I'm like, I'm
0: deflated. First of all, I have a very cute outfit on, by the way. It's really cute, but I'm saying
1: it's very from
0: girl-esque. I know, you need to see it because it's kind of like my 90s
1: look with like a slip dress over. But that's what religious girls do because they can't show sleeves. So they'll buy a dress like that and put a long sleeve under. It's kind of a loophole. okay.
0: Well, you need to it. experience it in real life is what I'm saying. And, and, no, no, I yeah. love the look.
1: I'm like, <laughs> okay. to- you're reading me wrong. People like to read me wrong because I have an aggressive tone. We both agree your look is lovely. Amazing. It's very convenient when looks like that are also <laughs> in line with a modest dress. totally. Because people who have to dress modestly can now also be trendy. When this moves out, they'll still have to wear this. <laughs> We are probably going to air this
0: around Passover. Did you
1: do a Seder in the pandemic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I host a Dyke Seder sometimes where uh, it's just some Dykes. I'm the rabbi. All the tops have to wear yarmulkes. I keep it very traditional because I grew up traditional. So the problem with me is because I grew up with a more orthodox traditions I don't like the new age. I like being included the way I am. But then I go to a reform synagogue or something and the women are in taluses and whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not how it is. And the tunes are all off. So I bring the orthodox ways to a dyke situation, but we play the roles. It's like, if you're a top, you're wearing a yarmulke, we just pretend that it's all the same. And we do the same tunes. Everyone falls into place. Everybody falls in. Yeah. One year I had my friend who she's an Egyptian dyke, a lesbian, whatever. I can say it. So I made her read what her people had done to us, you know, through the Haggadah, whenever it came up, she had to get up there and I stripped her of her yarmulke, and and we do all the parts. And it's fun. We do everything. We do the haroset. I try and get a box of shmur matzah, the round matzah. Key. Um, I do the maror. Key. But it's like $40 a box now. You're going there and you're going, come on. They know their audience. You know, it's like supply and demand. No, it's really crazy. We have a problem with income gap too. I really think it should be more affordable. I remember my mother used to buy maybe 20 boxes and every family I knew ordered like 20, 30 boxes. It's very strange. Well, you heard it here first. I think what you
0: should pitch is the Robbie Hoffman Haggadah, like your story, intertwined.
1: Well, I use the original Haggadah. Okay, and you guys know what I'm talking about at home. It's the yellow with the maroon. (laughs) Don't come at me with some new age picture book for the kids. The kids can follow this one too. We're belittling the kids, okay? They get to shine with the four questions and that's it. Subject aside from Passover, that's
0: important to me. And then we'll get into all the other stuff. Please. I'm a native New Yorker, born and bred. You're in LA. I know you were born in New York. What's New York versus LA for you?
1: They're both shitholes. Okay, you know I don't even do a versus thing. They're both bad and they're both great. You know what I mean? I'm not seven anymore. I'm like I win, you lose. Like da da da. Comparing them is 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 crazy. They're very very different. You know, New York is the greatest city in the world, but it's a shithole to live in, and people have ruined it. What ruins every city? The greed and all this has just ruined it. It's not like I know New York of the '70s or whatever. I don't know that either. But I know for sure it's being ruined by finance guys and polka dot socks and whatever the hell they're doing. That said, living there, like, I love apartment life. The apartments are fun. Just getting around, all the walking. I walk so much in New York. But... The subway doesn't work. New York acts like it's the only place that are like, well, we couldn't redo the whole subway because by the time we finished one station, we'd have to start on the... Yes, that's exactly what you would have to do. That's what every functioning country does. Japan does that. They work on one station and by the time they get through all of them, they're back to that station. That is what it is to upkeep a system. But New York acts like, it would be impossible. We could never, every other functioning country does it yet. On the flip side, people in L.A. complain about driving. Right. I love to drive. Personal preference. I like to be in my car, my tunes, my girl, whatever's going on in the car. <laughs> Riding the subway in New York, you have to sit next to somebody who's wiping their nose from their wrist to their elbow. It's disgusting That's over there. the charm. So I don't have a preference. Okay. you got it all sorted. My mother cooked every day, and she was a terrible cook. Uh, She also made our school lunches every day. That's 10 school lunches, and we had the absolute worst school lunches. My school lunch for about 12 years of my life consisted of exactly these things. A hard peanut butter sandwich on mismatched pieces of rye bread, one always bigger than the other, like my tits when they were developing. I don't know why Uh, two tea biscuits which she considered cookies they're not okay and exactly four saltine crackers every kid's favorite and one juice box I was always parched I in fact asked for this table to have water it's my trauma still Uh, it's also worth mentioning that my mother never bought ziploc bags or learned how to spread peanut butter We had the bags she bought that had that flap to flip over, or you could use a twist tie to close them, she knows. She never did flip that flap over, though. And she never had it in her to use a twist tie, so by the time I got to lunch, there was just two random pieces of rye bread and a hard chunk of peanut butter floating at the bottom of my bag. I'd get home from school, complaining, screaming about my lunch, and my mother would fire back at me, ''Can't you trade?'' We used to trade when we were kids. Don't the kids trade anymore? Frustrated through tears, I'd have to explain. Nobody wants to trade Oreos for fucking saltine crackers. I'm at the bottom of the trade chain here.
0: (sighs) What was, like, the trade you were always hoping for? Like, if someone, for some reason, wanted what your mom packed, what were you hoping to get?
1: At the time, it was something like Dunkaroos. But even so, when I had Dunkaroos, I actually don't love cookies, which is a strange thing. And even as a kid, I didn't love cookies. But I like the process of the Dunkaroo. I think I like the packaging and I like that there's a little dip. And I like that with anything. I love the little cheese. I liked anything processed. So like those little cheese sticks with the fake cheese. I like that. I did have one year where I was trading... This was very strange that this kid had this for lunch a lot. But this kid had like a pack of Vicks candies, like Vicks cough drops, the red ones. And I love them. And this kid would trade with me. I don't even know what I gave them. But something was wrong with that family. Now that I'm looking back <laughs> that the person had Vicks. I guess he was always coughing. I-, I don't even really know. I was like 12 not questioning, I guess. But I probably should have questioned like, why do you always have Vicks? These kids are coughing. I really don't know what was going on looking back. But, you know, I don't know. I like things in Tupperwares. Like, I never had Tupperware. I had a friend, she always had, like, tuna fish in a -a Tupperware. I love tuna. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Um, For those listening, I am trying to bring back surprise, surprise actively. So if you could all use it in a sentence, I just feel like it's a really positive thing to bring back. But, yeah, like, I like things in Tupperware. People had, like, little dressings, you know, and then carrots to dip. You see a theme of dipping. You love to dip. I like stuff like that. Yeah, I love the carrots and dip thing a lot.
0: I want you to bring me back to this scene of like your mom making these 10 lunches every day. It was like she was
1: organized. Things were all over the place. Like what was her assembly line like? Basically, she had like 10 bags going around the kitchen table. She would make these awful peanut butter sandwiches, basically a scoop onto two pieces of rye bed, throw it in a, a plastic bag without a zip tie, without right. a Ziploc, Nothing chuck it in a regular plastic bag. We use grocery bags. I never had a lunchbox, something I really wanted. And not to be like, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. This is all fun and good times now, but we just didn't have lunchboxes. But I did want a lunchbox. And now looking back, you look at the price of a lunchbox and you're going, it was certainly achievable. <laughs> As a kid, I maybe thought, oh, they must be a $1,000. So this is why we don't have them. It must be, you know, a $1,000. But actually, I think it's $2. So... Yeah, my mother would have the bags around and just bags and bags. You'd chuck in a tangerine, always way too squishy. (laughs) One juice box. Sometimes the straw stuck on for dear life. Sometimes you had no straw. You were getting your pinky finger, you know, into that hole. (laughs) I mean, you really do. Yeah, those juice boxes were problematic. Not what was me, but I wanted the juice in a bag. Capri Sun. Capri Sun. That would have been a treat. I love it in a bag. Yeah. And here's a positive. She sometimes did get the Tropicana and it came in a mini carton, which I freaking loved. So that was a treat. Yeah. Anything mini from the big size is fun. <laughs> yeah. So your lunches suffered like a little bit. But what was special about having
0: nine siblings?
1: I guess, you know, the cliche. I don't know otherwise. I think the best thing is now having some of my best friends or my sister's. My brothers who are freaking out were close, calm down. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, we totally get each other. Having sisters was the best thing of being in a big family. Mm-hmm. Like literally having sisters. And I always think this: when people are having kids and they have one kid and they want another kid and they're going, we want a boy and a girl. I say no. <laughs> What you want is two girls or two boys because the best thing to happen to me was having sisters and the best thing to happen to my idiot brothers was, oh, they have another idiot for them to have fun with. And it's not like you can't be close with your brothers, of course. There's the people who are overly close to the sister-brother relationships. It gets creepy at an age. But to say that I do think having a brother, having a sister, if you're... it's just good. Do two, two. And then if you have a third, you could do the other one. Because anyway, that one would have been alone. They would have been alone anyway. On the worst days, on top of it all, I'd come home to an enormous crock pot in the kitchen. God, why me? My mother's chunky chalant. I'm talking huge chunks of fatty meat. Big ass carrots, the dildo kind, not your little micro pre-shaved, slimy, baggy carrots. Practically full potatoes. And I knew this witch-sized pot. Think of the biggest hole, bigger than my mother's vagina, times two. This witch-sized pot would be dinner until it was out. This could take days. Which back then felt like weeks. God, why me? (sighs) All I ever wanted was processed foods, (laughs) a Lunchables anything, which is why McDonald's spoke to me from a young age. If I could just have a nugget, God, why me? As a kid, all the non-Jews and the Jewish kids who weren't kosher, you know who you are, all had McDonald's after school, happy meals, food that literally makes you happy. I want to be happy too. Don't I deserve this?
0: (sighs) So when you were younger, what did you think non-Jewish life was like?
1: It was fun. You know, lots of presents. They were going skiing, which I guess I went to a, a rich Jewish high school where they did that. They had Christmas. But I also... To be honest, that's only if I thought about them. I almost never thought of them. My whole world was Jewish. So to me, if somebody grows up in a Christian world or something like that, and they don't think about Jews, I don't think about them. I didn't come across them so much, even though I lived in such multicultural cities, I just didn't think about them. It was all copacetic. Everybody just lived together, but I lived in my community. And I don't know. It, it didn't go beyond that. But if you're asking me, sure, I'd say they have a good December. But I loved getting all the holidays off. I thought it was so sick that we got Pesach off and spring break. We got both. You know, we had a lot more days off than people. We had short Fridays, which was excellent. Cannot recommend enough a half day at school. Nothing better. So I don't know. It was. It's all I knew. But at the same time, I knew we had perks and I was big on them. I like time off from a young age. You knew what was up. Yeah, extra days. I also went to a Jewish summer camp for two months where we were shipped off, and it was a delight. It was amazing. So, I don't know, the first few days hard, you're homesick. But my house, I didn't even really want to go back there. It's ridiculous, but... You know, and then you adjust. So I don't know. I never really thought about non-Jewish life. When we heard about people being friends with non-Jews and stuff, it felt like, whoa, like, I can't explain. Like they seemed more mature or something, or they seemed more street or more, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It was cool to have friends who weren't Jewish at a certain time. When you got older, it was like, cool. Like, oh, they're not Jewish. But it's kind of like full, it's kind of funny because... Sometimes I'm the Jewish friend or the gay friend or things like that. But when I was growing up and I had like a few non-Jewish friends, it'd be like, well, they're not Jewish. Or like people dating a non-Jewish guy. It felt cool. It felt like, whoa, you're
0: really doing something. And it was always like upfront in the conversation. Like, oh, this is my friend. They're not Jewish.
1: Well, yeah. The name was like Malcolm or, (laughs) you know, or you, you met somebody named Luke. You know, it was like... It was like, whoa, his name is Lucas. And you're like, whoa, okay. Hey, Lucas, you're trying to act cool, whatever. But they had like the wreath on the door or something like that. I mean, it's strange. Yeah, the wreath is always... The wreath, yeah. It's a better way of... It's pretty. We got nothing doing on the door. The mezuzah's alarming. I still have one, but it is scary. It's like a threshold type of thing. Anyway. The smell of a nugget coming by. It's how I learned temptation, how to avoid it. Of course, we always heard about the illustrious McDonald's breakfast. Got to get there by 10. I'll be there. (laughs) I'll go for 10. What do I care? I'm up at 8 anyway. So what's a Jewish kid to do? What's a Jewish kid to do? This polar opposites. Right on the one side. We have my mother's extremely chunky chullant. And on the other, this perfectly curated egg McMuffin sandwich. Two diametrically opposing forces. Let's take a survey. Who here picks? My mother's extremely chunky. I'm talking bone in the meat. Chullant. Say I. One. Two. Who here chooses the heavenly father, manna from the sky, egg McMuffin that we were gifted? Say I. There we have it. There we have it. Years later, fast forward, I'm 19, college. I just had a very difficult exam at school. I was tired. I was starving. I said, fuck it. I walked into the McDonald's across the street, ordered an Egg McMuffin, extra bacon, no hesitation. I finally snapped, and I broke my kosherness on an Egg McMuffin, and I'll tell you something, it was fucking Pesach. I didn't give a fuck. I had the Egg McMuffin, Every day for the next 30 days. (laughs) Immediate addiction. I don't know what supersized me, what that guy was talking about. I loved it so much. One of my first summer jobs was working at McDonald's. I really don't know what he was talking about in supersized me. I ate it every single day for three and a half months. I loved every bite. I should say, I'm loving it. Not to mention, I got half off everything because I worked there. That's not nothing. Can I get an amen? Thank you.
0: Of all the menu items at McDonald's, why were you so drawn to the Egg McMuffin?
1: The Egg McMuffin, just like a breakfast sandwich. I guess I didn't grow up with a crazy breakfast. That seems very goyish, very not Jewish to have like eggs, bacon, milk, like big breakfast. It's just not something typical. In my house, we grew up, we had Cheerios and Rice Krispies on the kitchen table every single day. That was it. Like if you wanted breakfast, you had those two things. That was really, really it. But there wasn't this like whole fry up of things all the time. That feels like very not Jewish to me. Like, you're in no rush at all. Like, it's luxurious with time, this type of breakfast. But McDonald's breakfast was something that was just always advertised. It was a time crunch. You had to get there by 10. This is something I felt I could do at the time. (laughs) You know, it it felt achievable. Um, It felt so close yet so far. You know, it was cheap. It felt like, whoa, what a deal. So all you have to do is get there before 10. And you have this perfect sandwich. It was small, perfectly curated. It just, the packaging again, and it always comes back to it, was just perfect. It was so compact, but had everything you needed. I guess because it was so exclusive, because of the time frame, it felt like it had an exclusivity to it. And there were some kids that I knew, a lot of kids that I knew, who weren't kosher, who could eat it but they were Jewish. And I think this is a special place in hell for those kids, the Jewish kids who were not kosher. Um, and they know who they are. But they, they were getting away with murder. They were having these egg McMuffins and stuff like that. You broke your kosherness on this egg McMuffin. On Pesach.
0: Yeah. So, so bring me back to this
1: moment and this decision. Like what was going through your head? I was starving. <laughs> I was starving, if I could be honest. I had just had an exam. I think it was like an eight- to 10 exam. I don't know what it was. I put my pen, I, I called the invigilator, invigilator picks up my thing. And right across from the school, Alexis Neon Mall, shout out to anybody in Montreal going to Dawson, Alexis Neon Mall had a McDonald's in it right there. And it was Pesach. There was nowhere for me to get remotely kosher food because I wasn't eating kosher then for Pesach. I was eating like maybe an apple or, or banana. You know, I couldn't find kosher food. And I said, fuck it. And I went in there and I knew exactly what I wanted. I wanted to try bacon for sure. And so I did the egg McMuffin with bacon. And it was just so good. And I had it every single day for 30 days. Like, this is a real thing. And I remember walking in one day, still on off, because the next day I went to get it. And we sat in a cafeteria. My school, Dawson at the time, was very divvied up by your community. And I walked into my Egg McMuffin and all my righteous Jewish friends were there. And I remember these were people who weren't kosher throughout the year. But suddenly Passover rolls around. They're the most righteous Jews that ever were. They're kosher. They're keeping everything. (laughs) My friend Ronnie, and shout out to him. He's a very successful lawyer in Toronto now. And he's just lovely. But I remember him at the time going, I can't believe you're going to eat that in front of us. We're all keeping Passover and you're going to eat that in front of us. He had his like crumbly matzo or whatever the (laughs) hell he had to eat. And I go, how dare you? How many times have I gone to dinner with this group of people to an Italian restaurant somewhere and I order a garden salad, no dressing because I am kosher throughout the year and you're going to shame me the one time you're kosher? I'm not moving anywhere. I'm eating this right here. And that was the end of that. So you felt comfortable bringing it in front of your friends. Well, yeah, I was the only kosher one of my friends. It's like the craziest thing. They were all Jewish, conservative, you know, traditional. I was always the most religious kid of my friends. But it was weird then because I was already a dyke. I was secret then. But I'm like, what am I even doing? Like I'm eating girls, but not the Egg McMuffin. <laughs> what is going on? Like it just it made no sense.
0: How did this decision affect how you felt about being Jewish and what it meant to be Jewish?
1: Nothing. I always feel like Hashem has got me and likes me. And I've never been like the proudest Jew. I just happen to be pretty Jewish. But I'm also like, yeah, I feel there's issues with the community. I don't like, sometimes I find it hard, you know, where I'm like, no, well, we've lost our way too. We've succumbed to greed in many aspects. There's still a lot of poor Jews. And I think we could eradicate that before we start preaching and this and that about our community, because there's still a lot of ways to go. And we get stuck in, and this is hard stuff to talk about because I am clearly very Jewish, but I'm like, yes, like we get stuck in the weeds and in the red tape and in the bureaucratic systems too that still allow for us to have poor Jews, even if we can eradicate that. But I think there's also great values and morals about our community and looking out for each other. And I'm somebody who went to a great school for free. And I went to a great camp for free. And so those are amazing things. I always just hold us to a high, high standard of we can do more, which is, you know, it's (laughs) never enough. So, um, yeah, in terms of my Judaism, it's funny, like even coming out or whatever, I never felt like God or whatever spiritual or what I never felt wrong. Like even breaking, co- I don't know. I've just never felt wrong. I felt like Hashem gets this. And I say the Shema and, and I don't know. I've never felt like God has been like, God gets it. Like, I'm like, what? This God, like nobody's yelling at me up there. I felt like I was always loved, protected and supported spiritually, whatever that means. And that has shifted, but I've never felt wrong.
0: Other than the Seder that you mentioned, kind of reinventing that in your own way. Are there any aspects of your more religious life that you keep today that you feel are important?
1: Yes. I just put another mezuzah up on my door. I like to be protected. I had this conversation because a mezuzah should be put up by a man, typically. So I was like, should I put it up? But then all the Jewish men that I knew, I really didn't feel like they had good vibes, And I was like, I don't want their jube jube in my bedroom. And not for any reason. They're not like, you know, Harveys or anything like that. I'm just like, I don't like their I would want like somebody who eschews success or morale or something. You weren't finding that. No. So and then I was like, you know what? Hashem would be totally cool with me putting this up. He'd be like, listen, so you're a little boyish. Even if you have one percent, that's kosher. That's kosher. So I put it up. I love that. I use a mezuzah. I don't know how much is OCD because I grew up doing all these things that I'm like, if I don't do them, what's going to happen? But I still do them. I pray at nights. I do do the holidays. I like to still do the holidays. Um, I'll do if it's Friday and when we happen to have wine, I'll say a prayer. Um, yeah, I, I am kind of religious in a way. I've still kept some level of religious, but I'm, It's been very passive, and it's been very natural and organic. I like whatever is doing I do. I do like tradition a lot, and I like our traditions a lot. It's been well over 10 years since that delicious first bite. I'm not kosher anymore, and I can have McDonald's whenever I want. Truly, there's one at the end of the block. There's one at the next block, there's one over there. (laughs) McDonald's is like the Mashiach, they're everywhere. (laughs) But my mother's chunky chalent is only one place, home. This many years later, I started to reconcile the differences that I can enjoy both the Egg McMuffin and my mother's chunky chalent for what they are. Like so many things in life, it's not about picking this side or choosing that side, but about balance. Now that my mother's challenge is not easily available, it's all I want. If I could get a fatty piece of brisket, and a half a mushy potato, a big-ass dildo carrot, anything. <laughs> Food that makes me happy, my happy meal. I'm Robbie Hoffman. You can follow me and everything. Can we get that picture? That was Robbie Hoffman. Thank you for
0: listening. I'll meet you back here next week. Until then, head to jewishfoodsociety.org for delicious Cholent recipes and much more. Schmalti is a production of Jewish Food Society, made with love in NYC. Be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you get this show, so you don't miss any of the stories. Schmalti is produced and edited by Gal Shaya and Particle 3. Our executive producer is Nama Shafi, and our theme music is by Yuval Semo. I'm your host, Amanda Dell.